0: You're listening to The Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Better Man Podcast. My name is Adam Tarno. Today on the podcast, we've got Ben Stewart. That's right, Ben Stewart is with us. We have a conversation about a bunch of things, but really, uh, we try to center the conversation about his book that he released in January called Rest in War, uh, Rhythms of a Well-Fought Life. We talk about the three tensions that followers of Jesus need to manage Uh, he's of course he's got great stories he's funny he's winsome he dropped more scripture than i could keep track of it was exactly what you hear when you listen to ben Stewart's sermons or if you watch a sermon of his Uh, he's genuinely a super nice guy with a lot of great information to share so i'm excited uh, for those of us here that are listeners of the better man podcast to hear more from ben stewart so enjoy my conversation with ben Well, Ben, welcome to the Better Man Podcast. Good to have you here today. So glad to be here, Adam. Thank you, brother. All right. So uh, your book that just came out in January is called Rest and War, Rhythms of a Well-Fought Life. You know, I've got one of those weird relationships with you where I've listened to you speak for so many years that I feel like I know you, and I feel like you and I have some similarities. So when I read the subtitle, uh, Rhythms of a Well-Fought Life, I was like, hmm... I've never fought anybody in my life, right? Like, I don't know if this would be a book for me. And so uh, that's my random first question. Have you ever been in a fight? Uh, Absolutely, yes. You know, I grew up with a brother that uh, was very physical. I mean, you know, uh,
1: excelled in sports, went into the military. I didn't realize I was fighting one of the best the majority of my life. So it actually helped (laughs) me in high school yes, because I was not scared of uh, anyone. Uh, my, my age, I had been tested in the furnace of the Stewart home and, uh, was, uh, yeah, a couple fights in high school, you know, and, uh, but by college, you know, had to put all that away.
0: Yes. Yes. That's when you can really get hurt, uh, in high you school. Can, or, yeah, or, That uh, can college. be a life changer. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And there's like some legal ramifications of those fights and all that kind of stuff there too. too <laughs> so expensive. Uh, yeah. But anyway, so I, I really am intrigued by this. Uh, I love what you're doing with this book, um, and how you're setting up these three tensions that followers of Jesus need to manage. And so I, I know you've probably been asked this a few times, but I think it'd be great to set some context. Like what was stirring in you that said, this is this is the message that I want to start writing down and put in a book and share with the world?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Man, and there's a lot of different ways I can answer that. I mean, I, I think for me, th- there was a personal struggle of just realizing, um, man, I want to have a life of meaning and purpose, and I want that to actually play itself out in the everyday. But I'm struggling with my own faults, failures, insecurities, these things holding me back, and was kind of at a crossroads early in life, you know, where you go, okay, am I going to be duplicitous? Sort of have the happy smiley face in front of everybody and then just wrestle with all my destructive tendencies in the dark? Or am I going to have integrity, like have an integrated life? And if I do, then how do you struggle well? If life really is a struggle, uh, and it is, then how do I struggle well? So it was a lot of me wrestling with, How do I not crater my life? A lot of my heroes, I watch them crumble, either from moral failure or emotional uh, or physically break. And I'm like, okay, I'm watching men before me break. Uh, How do I navigate the complexity of the battlefield of life in a way where I don't get crushed, but I can actually accomplish something significant? So it's very personal. And then, you know, in ministry, just being among, particularly for me, among young people, I just saw um, meaninglessness and a lack of methodology discourage so many people. You know, that, that, I can't remember who says the quote, that most men live lives of quiet desperation. You know, that you just, uh, my, I, what, where is my life going? Is it accomplishing anything? Am I doing anything of value? And that sense of meaninglessness, I think, stalks this young generation. I mean, we're seeing it, what, it was the CDC just said, 44% of teenagers feel persistent hopelessness that means I don't see positive in the future. I don't see the, that there's meaning or purpose or value to my activity. and And I just don't like people feeling that way. But I understand that feeling. You wake up, rise and grind, you're doing a bunch of stuff and constantly running into frustration. And it's like, how do you not live a life of just resigned frustration? Uh, If you say, hey, there really is a big story, God really is writing it, then how does that play out in the midst of everyday life? How do you get meaning into the mundane? And uh, that was a driver for me for a lot of life. And I just didn't want to write a pump-up speech like, make a difference. You're like, okay, thanks. How? So I called this book a field guide to the spiritual life. If life's a fight, how do I struggle well? And it, it came out of a real pastoral concern for people I watched, not feeling like they're winning in life. And I didn't want them to get buried by shame. I wanted them to have a strategy for how to succeed.
0: Yeah. And I, I like that you're using that imagery in the language of fight there. I remember, um, you know, I became a Christian when I was in college, right before my 21st birthday. And for the first, I don't know, six months, it felt like following Jesus just made life better, like things were easier, I was doing better in my classes, I was in less fight with my fraternity brothers, like arguments, you know, I, I didn't have girls mad at me, and it was just like, oh my gosh, why did I wait so long for Jesus, because he just fixed everything. And I remember there was a guy uh, that was discipling me in college, and we were reading an old Chuck Swindoll book, I think it was called Man to Man was the name of that book, and Swindoll used that imagery of this journey and the adventure adversity that's going to come. And I remember underlining that word, kind of met with the mentor and I was like, you didn't tell me this, like you didn't tell me hardship was a part of this. You didn't tell me that this was going to be a battle. And, uh, and, but it's exactly right. And I like that you're using that language just to keep all the expectations in check. Right?
1: Yeah. And I think it is discouraging for people. Oh man, I just thought this would be easier. I thought some of these, um, desires I had would go away. I thought some of these kind of ugly tendencies, God would uproot from my soul. And then you realize, man, he, he didn't even prune mine. I mean, they're still growing and they're now they're embarrassing. So am I supposed to hide them? And then you'll talk to people and go, man, I guess maybe the gospel doesn't work or Jesus doesn't work because I still struggle. And you go, no, read the Bible, man. Like he, he tells you all through it. You have not been freed from the fight. You've been freed for it. Like, before, you were just a victim to all those tendencies. Now you can be a victor, but, but the battle's still raging. And if anything, you're even more of a target for the enemy, you know, because the Bible says um, our king made a public spectacle of him. He was humiliated by Jesus. And the best way for the enemy to twist the knife in Jesus is to come at his kids, you know? And so we're a target. Uh, for temptation. And I, I think that's like one of those things, like when you go to the doctor, you know, where it's kind of good news where you're like, man, I'm feeling bad. And they're like, yes, yeah, because you're really sick. You're like, oh, well, that's terrible news. Yeah. And yet also strangely comforting. <laughs> yeah. I'm not crazy. And I think part of me for this book is just to help people not feel ashamed of like, man, I wrestle with this. I think some really dark things. I go to some really broken places. You're like, yeah, you're a mess and it's horrendous, but you're not a victim. Christ won the decisive victory. And now he's given us the tools to fight but we got to do it. Strengthen feeble knees. We got to rise up and and be men who struggle well. And so I, I want to get us out of shame and beating ourselves up and into strategic thinking. Let's get in the right fight.
0: Yeah, I like that. Okay, well, let's jump into this. Let's look at a couple of these, uh, you know, these uh, tensions that you talk about. And so the first one that you talk about in the book is the battle of what's holding you back versus moving forward. So talk about that. Well, you know, as men, what is typically holding us back?
1: Yeah, again, there's a lot of ways we could go with that. I, you know, I think presenting issues for a lot of people uh, in this day are the relentless onslaught of anxiety and sensuality, and it's interesting how Jesus warns us of that, like early on. You know, in in his first sermon, you know, he's talking about, hey, I'm about to stand up here and cast out these seeds of my word, and they're going to land in the soils of people's hearts. And he's like, some of y'all. My word's going to sink in deep, but as soon as it starts to grow, weeds are going to choke it. And his disciples asked him later, what's the weeds? And he said, the worries of this life and desire for other things. This <laughs> is wild that he said that, like, some of us, we're going to get so anxious. And then he said in the later sermon, you know, like, don't be anxious about anything, uh, but in everything, you know, uh, well, that's Paul, you know, let your request be made known and gone. But Jesus talked about that, about not being anxious. He says, but seek first the kingdom. And he puts those in contrast. You go, wow, like living the life God made you to live, one of the greatest impediments to your God-given destiny is for the enemy to just fill you with anxiety. I'm worried about money. I'm worried about prestige. I'm worried about if the right people know me and if my life matters. Like that worry will get you focused on a lot of meaningless things and you'll miss the big story. And so I think the relentless onslaught of social media has filled us with distraction and anxiety. And um, because we get so anxious about our life, then we disappear into distraction and comfort. I'm not sure I'm accomplishing. I thought I'd be married by now. I can't get over this. This isn't really working. My kids are making me crazy. Uh, let me pull open a screen and just let something whisk me away. And and for a lot of men, that's sensuality. I mean, if you look statistically, 86% It was was the last study of men look at porn on a regular basis, and you watch the shame of a broken sexuality steal vibrancy from so many men can't make eye contact don't feel the moral authority to minister to other people so they're not actively loving their wives they're not actively engaging their kids they're not actively engaging their society they're not discipling other young men so one of the best ways the enemy can take us out is you know to punch us in the groin like let me just let me get you locked up and ashamed about uh, a broken sexuality and it'll just get you right off the battlefield so I think anxiety and sensuality, the onslaught of it through our devices has distracted and just decleted a bunch of men. And I think a lot of guys feel ashamed about that, but aren't sure what to do. And that's why I was trying to write a, a field guide for it. Well, let's talk about it and, and figure out what are some strategies.
0: You know, uh, one of our mutual friends, Jonathan Pacluda who's on the board here for Better Man, um... He used to talk to me about, like when he would talk about pornography, uh, he's done episodes on here. He's been very open about his his addiction with that in the past and how God has helped him through that. But he would always share some stories whenever he talked about it from the stage. You know, a couple of men would come up afterwards and want to ask him some questions and just be like, hey, uh, you know, can we come over here to the side real quick? Like, I know there's a line of people, but I, I feel like I need to tell you something. And he, he just knew every time as he tells the story. I know exactly what this person's going to tell me. Not that not that I want to just tell you you're common, but listen, you're going to talk to me about pornography or you're going to talk to me about something going on and something that's got a grip on your soul right now that you just can't get rid of. And you think it's so dark and you're the only one that struggles with it. And just that look on people's faces when they finally confess uh, that this is going on, that's not just regional, right? That that wasn't just stuff that happened here in Dallas. Do you, you experience that up there in DC too? <laughs> oh,
1: it's everywhere. Yeah. Oh, DC is that uh, we are... I think, uh, number one or number two, I think we're right behind Vegas, number two and STDs, you know? Uh, so yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we have a lot of people up here. I mean, they're doing it. They're like, I'm go, 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 go in my career to try to prove to somebody that I am somebody. Yeah. And when I get worn out and discouraged, I sink into some sad places to try to find comfort. And you go, that's so many men. And DC has the extremes of it for sure, but it's, it's, it's all over the place. And one of the, one of the best ways for the enemy to beat us is to, to isolate us because of shame. You're the only one run away, go hide. And uh, what did James say? Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you might be healed. And I don't know any guy that's
0: ever gotten healing from some deep woundedness Without the help of other brothers, yeah, that's a good word. That's a good word, and I like that. Again, back to that imagery that this is a this is a battle. Uh, You can feel cathartic when you confess it for the first time. That maybe this is an area because of whatever the reason that you're running to pornography or just running to a screen to just try to uh, help bring some rest to your soul. Uh, That's good, right? Use that momentum, but it's going to be a battle, and and you got to keep moving forward despite uh, some of the other feelings that might pop up in the future hundred percent. That's yeah. good. Okay. Uh, the second one you talk about is just some of these patterns that diminish intimacy rather than develop intimacy. So obviously we're talking to men and intimacy is not really a word that we use a lot, right? We wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't be experts there, but it is such an important word though. I think it's such a great way to describe our relationship with Jesus. And so, you know, what, what patterns of thinking have had the most positive impact for you uh, on your intimacy with God?
1: You know, I think I think you're right. There's the word intimacy can be off putting for us. And and I think um what I love about the Bible is there's multiple metaphors. There's not one that kind of encapsulates our relationship with God. So marriage is a is a popular one. But, you know, so often God is called our father, and that's a metaphor that's helpful. He's a father to his sons. And every son wants intimacy with their dad. I mean, my kid's seven, so he's not old enough to try to like tamp that unbridled enthusiasm of he wants to be where I am. He wants to go where I go. He just wants to be around me. He wants to wrestle in close. If I go on an errand, he wants to be in the car. He wants to be around me. And and I'm still that way. I talk to men my age and it happens to me, you know, my dad's gone, but um, there's still, there's so many moments in life where I'm like, Man, my dad would have thought that was cool. I wish I could call him. And I talked to other guys that, fe- like every guy wants that, the nearness of their dad. And that proximity makes you more like him. Like I was noticing the other day, or today, I was walking around, kind of working on my sermon. And I look and I'm like, I'm wearing a, a jacket my dad gave me, boots my dad gave, like I look like him. I talk like <laughs> him and not like in order to be, get his approval. Right, I right. do because I'm his. And um i think that's how we're meant to see it we're meant to be close to to the lord to be more like him and you know i see it with i'm around um successful athletes a lot or guys that were successful in their military career and it's wild when you go out with them in public and watch men orbit around them because they want a connection to them and they want an intimacy they want to be known by them and they want to hear the war stories not just because they're cool they want to hear them because It'll give me context about my war, my fight, what I'm dealing with. And so I think for men, you go, that that's what God built you for. He built you to be near him, to, to hear him say, you're loved. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. God said that over Jesus twice. And Jesus was always stealing away to be with his dad because there's life there. And so I want men to have that mentality, that picture But, you know, like any relationship, it takes effort to fight for it. And for me, um, realizing that, the, the flow of culture mitigates against that intimacy. Well, how do I fight for it? And if there's something in the way, let me get it out of the way. And I remember for me, it started in my 20s of going, how come I can never read my Bible? I'm like, well, I can't wake up early because I'm tired. Well, how many hours of the night do I need to sleep? I need to sleep about eight. So I need to go to bed around 10. So guess what? Cable's got to go. <laughs> and so that's how I started to do it. And it wasn't the shoulds like, well, as a Christian, you should not be what I'm like, the shoulds are so demotivating. And uh, no, that's not. So that's where I'm trying to get people out of spirituality is like a list of disciplines you accomplish and thus say, I am a disciplined man. That's not the goal. The goal is intimacy with a God who's made me, who loves me, and to be near him is to be like him. And so if there's something impeding that, get it out. And for me, it's like, well, I'm going to bed at this time, and there's no screens in my bedroom at all because they distract sleeping. So when I wake up, my mind's there and I can sit with him. And little tweaks like that impact my day. I mean, if I wake up and check the phone first thing, I'm automatically in a reactive mindset and an anxious mindset. So I go, well, then the phone doesn't owe me. It does not. I tell my phone how we relate. It doesn't tell me how we relate. And so you stay over their phone, and I'm gonna read my Bible and let my Father's voice speak over me. And so that's where that, that freedom of strategy gets fun. Did you go, I'm living according to my created intent. And that's energizing.
0: Yeah. And, and as I'm hearing you talk about that, um, uh, what you were doing on, you know, thinking back to cable, which, by the way, we both just dated ourselves right there. Is there some that are listening going, cable? What is cable? <laughs> right? Like, what is that thing? What so that anyway, <laughs> but I, I was tracking with you. I know what you're talking about there. But I think about like probably you and I and the way we behaved after we first met are now wives. Right. That it was like, I want to do anything I possibly can do to make sure I'm spending time with her. Uh, and so there was a driving of that like distractions like work. Oh, well, I can leave it this time or uh, studying for that test. No, I can push that aside because I want to be with her. And there's something I, so there is something inside most men, I think, that we do understand intuitively how to push out distractions for a relationship that we value. Absolutely.
1: And then, you know, as you get older, it takes, it's fascinating how much the Bible, I was reading First Timothy this morning, and it's, or excuse me, First Peter, and uh, it's be sober-minded and alert, be aware. Like, it takes an active engaging of our thinking to not get lulled into the passions of our former ignorance, you know? And we do that. We're suddenly working longer hours because that'll make us feel loved. And you go, what? That's not what a job's for, and a paycheck's not going to give you that. So, But but we're not being awake, aware. Why am I doing that? And so um, I advocate a lot in this book to think about what you think about, you know, because what you think about will shape what you care about, which will shape what you do. And so be aware of where you let your mind rest and what it's doing and be a student of yourself. That's what Paul told Timothy. Watch your life and your doctrine closely persevere in this because you'll save yourself and your hearers. Everyone want you influenced you. Be aware of your doctrine and be aware of you. Be a student of you. Why am I watching this so long? Why am I going there? Why am I doing this? Why do I avoid these conversations? And when you start doing that soul level work, you can get that deeper healing that will impact how you make decisions, how you treat people.
0: Yeah. Which goes back to what you said earlier about doing that with other men. I mean, I think for my own life uh, like I didn't come with that software in me that knows how to do the self-inventory. And so it was watching some older men... Uh, do some self inventory in their life, where it's like, oh, okay, so that's how you process through that stuff. That just it just some examples there. Being able to do that can be uh, can be so helpful. So, all right, let's talk about the last one here the the fighting sin versus flourishing. And so, um, you know, you've got a lot of ministry experience in different parts of the country. You know, some in Texas and some out there in the East Mid Atlantic area right now. So, just in your experience, like, what what do you see that really Uh, like changes inside of a man where they just go, okay, I want to engage in this fight uh, against sin, uh, not because of shoulds, for all the right reasons, but I understand it's a battle. Uh, What are some common characteristics that you see there that really cause them to go, enough's enough. uh, I want to do this for all the right reasons. Yeah, totally, man. I think, um, you know, it's interesting reading first Peter again
1: today, when he pivots to what we should do, he said, set your hope fully on the grace to be revealed. And then he says, and be holy, and so no longer conform to these former passions. So where does it start? It starts with, I have hope that there's kindness from God waiting for me. And and if you don't feel that hope, it steals all the motivation. And I watch that with guys, you know, it's it's interesting, you know, Hebrews, I love the way he positions it. He's talking to guys about their struggles against sin, and he says to them, and your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And I love how hard he is. He's like, man, you're not even bleeding yet. Like your struggle against sin is kind of sad, bro. You're just sort of folding like a lawn chair. He's like, you're not even bleeding. So he's telling you get way tougher on the externals. But then when he gives you motivation, he says, because don't you know that God calls you sons? And then five times he says that, your sons, your sons, your sons, your sons, you're deeply loved by your dad. And if you don't believe you're... God believes in you, God is coaching you, that He loves you, then you quit on yourself. And you see that with kids. Be- people with loving two-parent homes don't quit on themselves as much as people from broken homes. And that doesn't mean you're doomed if you yeah, came from yeah. a broken home. I did. But seeing someone choose you, fight for you, love you, gives you the motivation to fight. And so I think for a lot of guys, it sort of surprises them maybe to hear that. But that's where it starts. It's just knowing knowing you're loved gives you the power Uh, to fight the temptations, the things that would try to steal your heart and your energy and your life. I mean, you see it in Jesus, uh, you know, when he was baptized, the father speaks, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And he hadn't even done anything yet. All (laughs) the blind people still blind. Yes, The water's not wine yet. He hadn't done anything. But his dad just like, that's my boy and I love him. And then what happens next? Boom, the devil comes after him. Well, if you really are the son of God, why don't you turn those stones? Well, if you really are the son. Of God. And, and he's attacking his sonship and trying to divert him. And it just gets no purchase in Jesus' soul. He's like, no, no, my father loves me. My father's taking care of me. My father has purposes for me, even Mrs. pain. get out of here. And so he can fight the pressure of the desert because he knows the pleasure of his father. And I think that's where a lot of men need to start, of just knowing that, hey, you're loved right now. And when you believe that, then the things of earth grow strangely dim hmm. in the light of His glory and grace. That's so good.
0: All right, last uh, last thought here, because uh, what I, I really found interesting was the the last part of the book talked about you know, really practical designing an everyday schedule, you know, uh, which is so good. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's so like, uh, again, I, I, it's probably some of the ways that I would have thought through this too. Like there's some, there's some vision here and let me share some ideas. And now your calendar, okay, let's talk about your calendar and how you think about that. So would you just share a little bit about how and I know you've been walking with Jesus longer than probably a lot of people listening, or there may be some that that um, are just thinking about some of this for the first time. But now in your life, how do you think about your day? And are there any patterns that you uh, have found really helpful uh, to live out a lot of this stuff? And so, yeah, could could you talk about that here at the end? Absolutely.
1: You know, honestly, man, it started with a contemplation of manhood for me, truly, because I was trying to ask that question, like, what does a man do? And I I won't tell all the stories here. I tell them in the book about you know I, I've had a chance to hang out with a lot of Navy SEALs, and every time I go like do that, you leave and you're like, am I manly enough? Like, man, <laughs> why, why do I not know how to win a knife fight yet? Like, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. You know, like I do all that headspace stuff. Yeah. And then I was like, well, what is a man? Because some guys aren't built physically to fight, but they're still men. So so what is a man? And I and I I truly did this. I went to Genesis, and you look at Genesis. You see, the the problem in Genesis 1 is called tohu and bohu. There's no form and there's no fullness. There's no structure. There's no life. And then God exerts himself on this chaos water. In three days, he builds structure, sea, air, and land. And then the next three days, he fills them, fills the sea with fish, the air with birds, and the land with animals and us. And you go, he builds forms for the sake of fullness so that life can flourish. He builds structure, but not a stifling one a structure where life can reach its full potential. And then in Genesis 2, it starts with a negative situation again. There's uh, no shrub, no grass, no rain, no man. And so God creates the man, and then he tells him, cultivate and keep it. And I was reading those verbs. That's what the man was told to do. And cultivate is arrange raw material so it can be maximally flourishing, so it can maximally flourish. So I cultivate a garden, I position it, So it can reach its potential. And then I keep it. I remove anything that would keep that thing from flourishing. And I remember for me, like, I I remember being a young man looking at and I'm like, that's what a man's supposed to do. For the glory of God, because we're in his image, I take the raw material that I have influence over and I organize it so life can flourish. Husbands do that. How am I using my time, energy, money so that my wife can flourish under God? Not give her everything she wants, but position her to, to grow. I'll be held accountable for that. How do I do that for my kids? How do I do that with work? And then I started with me. Well, okay, if I'm responsible for Ben, how do I position me so I can be maximally, maximally flourished? We do that with money. How yeah. do I invest it so yeah. we can get its best return? And I looked at me and I'm like, I am so inefficient with my schedule and it's making me <laughs> crazy. I was mad at work all the time. And I was like, I'm not a victim of my schedule. I'm not a victim. I'm the master of it under God according to Genesis 2. And I started to study myself. And I just realized, as I'm being a student of me, I, my most creative thinking is in the morning. So for me, as someone who writes sermons, I got to do that in the morning. So I told my staff, stop texting me, stop calling me, stop emailing me because you're breaking up my train of thought and I'm starting to resent you. So <laughs> if you have a question, write it down. And in the morning, it's it's me and God, that's my best thinking time. And I fight for that. And then I would go to these long lunches because someone's like, can we meet for lunch? And they'd be like two hours long. And I'm like, you had a 15 minute question and it took two hours. So I, I, I do few lunches now. But as soon as noon hits, I start meetings with my staff because I'm not thinking as creatively, but I can sit there with them. And as a leader, my questions for them are, what do you need? How can I help you? Because I hired you to create structures. So what's under your care can flourish. What do you need from me? What resources do you lack that I can give you? Uh, what advice or counsel can I help shape you? So I meet with staff in the afternoons. Then I put counseling towards the end of the afternoon. Cause for me, I'm like, I'm tired, but I can listen to your problems. <laughs> Let's do it at three or four, you know? And then now that I'm a dad, I mean, I used to work till dark. Cause what else am I going to do? But now as a dad, I'm like, dude, I'm out. I, I get maybe two, three hours with my kids every day, and day. I'm not going to give them to my office. And I'm just certainly not going to give them to my phone. So I realized when I go home, the phone gets far away from me. I don't want to see my kids to see me choose this over them. And I'm with them. We have most dinners are together and we tell stories about our day and then we read a book together uh, as a family and then pray. And then I have about one hour, my wife and I'll sit and just talk about our day. And then it's time for bed. And there's all these other things that I'm like, they just don't fit my priorities. It, what are my roles under God? And what's the amount of time I have, and I'm going to let my priorities shape my schedule, not just proximity. And so the TV gets told no a lot, and the phone gets told no a lot for for me. And I know some people's work requires other things, but but I feel the freedom to be a student of Ben, and I I adapt my schedule maybe every four to six months to make me maximally efficient.
0: That's amazing. So if you had a like a 22 year old just starting their career that feels like they don't have as much autonomy and control over their career aspect or something like that. Would there be any tweaks and advice or counsel that you would give to that person?
1: Yeah, I would say, start with your roles under God. And I used to do this with my 20 somethings intern. So I'd give them a blank piece of paper and say, what are your roles as best you can tell under God? You are a, um, a child of God meant to pursue intimacy with him. You are the steward of certain resources you have a certain amount of money and pay bills etc you're uh, a child or or a member of a family you got parents etc uh and then at your office yeah are you uh are you a leader of a certain team are you the caretaker of a certain responsibility i was like put all your roles up there and then dump all your responsibilities under just brain dump in the categories here's all the here's all this stuff i have to do but now i see them and for a lot of people what they realize is They've got tons of goals in their work column. They have no goals in their stewardship of their finances, zero in how they're pursuing intimacy with God. And you go, okay, you just saw your values. And so what are your real values now? And then I have them pull out, I I would give my interns a a piece of paper. You can download this on my website, by the way, the rest of them were one, because I just gave them away for free. Like It's it's a week uh, on one page, broken up to 30-minute increments. And I would tell them, shade in the not what you know you have to, I know I have to be at the office at this time and leave at that time. And then they would see all the white space and I go, okay, go from your priority list and put it into your calendar. Go from, you know, uh, your titles and your tasks to time and start to put it in. And so for me, that's how I started early in my career. I I know I'm made to know God. And so first thing in the morning, I'm going to do that. And then afterwards, I'd be like, I did it. I I did something in the mundane of life that connects to my eternal purpose under God. And I noticed with young people, as I would make them do that, they'd be like, oh, okay, he's making his calendar. But after a while, they're like, you just took my eternal purposes and stuck them in the mundane. And I would literally watch them get a sense of agency. I'm not a victim anymore. I'm not just floating around in life, bouncing around among frustrations. I'm actually leading my life i'm doing what jesus said take your talents and them, make a profit with them invest them and so i would say yeah you don't get to control all your schedule but you have control of some so what are your goals What what are your values under god put those into your schedule and as you do that you'll get a sense of agency and you'll realize i'm a leader of me and then you can be a leader of men and a leader of women and a leader of others
0: that is so good Uh, Ben, this has been great. Uh, I'm going to go ahead. There's like so many more questions I could ask you, but uh, we're going to cut it short uh, because I'm sure people's drive times, like there's probably some people sitting in their driveway right now or they're waiting to go in their office to finish up this episode. So we're going to let them go, get back to their day to go do what they're doing. I'll let you get back to your day. Uh, Listen, when you finally learn how to win a knife fight, we'll bring you back on. Okay. But until then, don't, don't (laughs) ever ask to come back on. All right. (laughs) Truth (laughs) be told, we asked you, but, uh, but it was, uh, it's been a joy to chat with you. Thanks so much for your time today. Same brother. All the best to you. My favorite part, as uh, Ben was talking there, was just that uh, this idea. I kept thinking about the word in my mind, and then he finally said it at the end. It's that, that word agency, right? That we have that sense of agency. In my own journey right now this year, here in 2022, I feel like that's one of the words that the Lord has been teaching me, um, that I am not a victim, that I have a sense of agency, a sense of control over some of the decisions that I make, and I'm not just a victim, to the culture or the victim to the organization that i'm working for or whatever it is and there's something so empowering in the life of a man to know that we have a sense of agency and that we can battle some of this stuff so we are not victims to our sin we're not victims to work we're not victims to our relationships we have a sense of agency and control and so i hope that ben's words inspired you i hope god's word inspired you as Ben was sharing that, if you want to learn more about what it is that he was talking about and some of those other stories that he shared, you can go check out uh, his book, Rest and War. Uh, you can go Amazon, wherever it is you buy books. We all know how to buy books nowadays, but you can go there. I'll put a link to his website where he talked about that template. I know that there's probably quite a few uh, that were listening that want to know more about how to structure their day in that template That he talked about. So I'll I'll leave a a link to that in the show description today so that you can easily find that. Listen, one of the themes that he talked about was doing life with other men. That's why Better Man exists. Uh, That's what we want to do. We want to help men be on this, uh, become life-giving men together. And we want to be on this journey together, not alone. Uh, And so if that's you, if you are looking for some other men uh, to go through life with, uh, to talk about some of the things that we talked about here today, then please go to betterman.com. I think our 11-week experience is just what you're looking for. You can either find a better man that's up and running. You can see about how to bring Better Man uh, to your church or to your community. So go check that out at betterman.com. This episode, like every episode, was mixed and edited by the team over there at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about them at soundofarose.com. That's all we got for today on the Better Man Podcast. We'll talk to you again next time.